Our first reading from scripture this morning is from the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy. Let's listen for God's word to us and to the church today. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand, fix them as an emblem on your forehead, and write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The word of the Lord. Our second scripture reading this morning comes to us from the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter, verses 8 to 12. Let's listen again for a word from God. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, have I been with you this whole time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, but... If you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact, will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. The word of the Lord. a couple of quick uh, housekeeping matters. Uh, first of all, uh, the really beautiful Russian icon on the front of our bulletin today is going to play a role in the service, so keep it close at hand. That is by Andrei Rublev. not exactly sure what the date is, but we think uh, it's thought it's probably mid-15th century, so sometime in the 1400s, uh, and a mostly accepted uh, uh, view that Andrei Rublev was the painter is going to be uh, come, come uh, back to visit us in a few minutes. Also, I wanted to share with you that the call to worship this morning, the prayer of preparation and confession, the assurance of God's love, and the prayer of dedication over the offering, uh, all were written by Harry Gritch, uh, our graduating high school senior who is doing his career internship here at PCUM. Uh, for the last month, month and a half of his uh, senior year in high school. So, Harry, thank you for your, uh, your heart and your theological insights and for helping make this service happen. Uh, Harry has been doing everything from theological, uh, liturgical writing to pulling weeds and everything in between as part of the internship. And we just hope he could, wish he could be here for more than the time he's here because it's wonderful to have you here, Harry. So let's pray together. 
loving God, to know Jesus is to know you. But more importantly, because we don't always know what we know or remember what we know and we change our minds and our hearts to be known by you through your gift of yourself in Christ and to be reminded of that gift every day by your unseen presence in our hearts and in our relationships is the reason we gather and we pray that in our joyful response to you this morning that meditations of our hearts upon your word to us today in scripture and in music and in sacrament will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I don't want to show off, but I was a pretty good math student. You know. So it's a privilege for me to join together here this morning to tell Bradley the good news that one plus one plus one equals one. That's right, one plus one plus one equals one. That is a mathematical fact in the Christian church anyway. But I'll get back to the math. So I'll let you catch up. You can get out your phone calculator if you want. But I uh, also want to just remind you that we just did something else just as strange and weird as telling him that one plus one plus one equals one when we told Bradley that wherever he is and wherever he goes on good days and bad days in the wake of triumphs and in the wake of disappointments, whether he knows it or not, whether he likes it or not, we told Bradley that we're going to be there with him. So he better have some more space in his apartment or in his dorm room or we are going to be with him every step of his way, and he's going to be with us. We just told him that, along with the one plus one plus one equals one thing. Now, clearly, the fact that I think that one plus one plus one equals one tells you that I'm not, I'm not really that bright in math. Um, there are a lot of things I don't know, but what I do know is that Bradley is about to discover as he grows up, as we all must, that the American myth of rugged individualism, even the Protestant work ethic, this idea that our faith is determined by our decisions and our effort alone, is just that. It is a story we tell ourselves to get ourselves to work harder and to be even more independent. But it's a story that isn't true at all, not at all. The fact is, we need each other, Bradley, let me remind you. And the corollary, I want to remind you, Bradley, is that what we do affects and shapes each other's lives. Bradley, your smiles today made our day. Amen? Yeah, this kid really, he and I should go on the road. <laughs> we need each other. I need him. And whether he knows it or not, I hope and pray that he needs me and you. We need each other, and what we do affects and shapes each other's lives. Now, the way we tell jokes these days has changed, but I do want to tell a joke in this idea that what we do shapes and affects each other's lives. There were three Americans who individually were on vacation in a foreign country, a very conservative foreign country. Uh, but they met up after a while, they heard each other speak in American English, and they decided to kind of 
go and see the sights together. And then one evening, uh, they went to a local watering hole and they realized that they had some th more things in common, that they were all three college graduates and they talked into the evening about where they went to school and their fraternities and their sororities and all this stuff. And they had a little too much celebrating as the evening went on and the next morning they all three woke up in jail. And they heard, much to their chagrin and alarm, that they were to be executed later that day for public drunkenness. The first college graduate was strapped to the electric chair and was asked if she had any last words. She said, I just graduated from Salvation Bible College with a degree in theology, and I believe the, in the almighty power of God to intervene right now on behalf of me and all the innocent People just ignored her. They threw the switch, but nothing happened. And all three of the college graduates fell on the floor onto their knees, begging for forgiveness. And their captors decided to release her. The second college graduate was then strapped into the chair and gave his last words. He said, I just graduated from Harvard Law School, and I believe that the in the power of justice to intervene on my behalf and on the part of all the innocent and they threw the switch, and again, nothing happened. The three, but now the two that were left fell on their knees, prayed for forgiveness, and they decided to release the Harvard graduate. Finally, the third college graduate, who was wearing a cowboy hat, was strapped in, and she said, well, I'm from the University of Texas, and I just graduated with a degree in electrical engineering, and I'll tell you right now, y'all ain't gonna electrocute nobody if you don't plug this thing in. <laughs> what we do, affects and shapes each other's lives. Now what does that have to do with bad math? One plus one plus one gives one. Well, I think it has something to do with the longing that I see as a pastor, even in these increasingly non-religious, non-churchy days. I think that even though people don't have the God language they used to have necessarily, everybody longs for God as much as they ever have in human life find that deep inner sense of who we really are, to be in touch with the force of love that created us, that comes out in the best of our lives. We have this longing, and it is such a rare treasure when we come across it, because it is not what the world tells us. The world tells us we have to achieve our happiness on our own, and so we go out and we achieve, we experience success after success, and we feel just as empty and just as we feel the same amount of longing as we did before, and we just keep chasing our tails. I remember when I was a grad student living in what was then West Berlin. Berlin is further north on the whole latitudinal line than in this part of the United States, and it gets cold in the winter. And I remember walking along, barely able to speak the language on cold winter nights when it got dark at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I had to walk because I didn't have enough money as a student to, you know, they didn't have Ubers. And in German, they're called Ubers. Um, uh, and the taxi's called the taxi. Uh, but I couldn't afford any of that, so I would walk, and I would see these big, beautiful houses in the Dahlem, the section of West Berlin where I lived. And the lights were on, and it was Christmas time, and there were people laughing inside. And I just wanted to go in so much, but even if I did, I couldn't really speak the language. And I, it, was, it just, I felt so lonely, I remember, as I walked back to my lonely dorm room 
uh, in those days. And you know, as a, as a son of a military family, you know, we moved a lot, and there's a lot of good that comes with that. There's a lot of challenge, too, because you're always new. You're never really accepted, and about the time you are accepted, your dad and mom tell you it's time to pack up and move again. There is this longing to belong, a longing for belonging that we all have. I was never a member of a church as a kid, and I used to sort of look down my nose at the goody-two-shoes church kids when I would go to church with my mom. I didn't have time to be in a youth group. I was too busy, you know, achieving and being an athlete and being a student. Uh, and I would look at these youth group kids, and I would tell my mom, I don't want to be part of that. But secretly, I kind of envied them. They had this sense of identity and belonging that wasn't based on how well they did on an exam or in a game. It just was because they were who they are, and it was such a sort of distant uh, uh, ache in my gut wanting to be a part of these groups that I never was a part of. We all have this longing to come into the presence where we, of, of some, to come into some presence where we are accepted for who we are. My daughter and son have just started watching the new season of Stranger Things. They say it's really good. Anybody started watching it? There we go, a couple of people, yeah. And they, they're mad at me, and they're kind of, you know, uh, insulting me that I haven't just dropped my binge watch right now so I can get on to their binge watch. And I told them, Stranger Things will wait. I'm watching Last Kingdom. Anybody seen that one? Uhtred, son of Uhtred. Try it out. All I want to say about The Last Kingdom, which is sort of a fictional 8th century, so England kind of uh, world in which Uhtred, this great warrior, Never, things never work out for the guy, but it's even worse to be married to him, but that's another thing. Uh, in that world, if you want to get entrance to the king, right, if you want to gain access to the king, have audience to the, with the king, you first have to, you know, survive the journey to the castle. And if you are lucky enough to survive, then you have to get past a guard or a lot of guards with spears and swords. And then you have to speak to some courtier, some lord who may or may not let you go forward. And then once you get into the sort of the chamber of the courtroom where the throne is, you have to go past the king's personal guard and then past the king's closest advisor. And then maybe if the king deems it, uh, you know, appropriate, you might get a few seconds with the king. You aren't essential to that king and you're there only on the whim of whether he, and if it's a queen, she wants you to be there. Um, that whatever you really wanted to speak to about, speak with the king about, whatever you needed from the king may or may not even be realized depending on their whim. That is not the kind of God we have and we celebrate today. Our longing is satisfied. And it's satisfied especially through the Trinitarian understanding of God. The way we see and experience God even if we can't explain it very well. But here goes. Nadia Boltz Weber, a Lutheran pastor, one of my current heroes, in, a, in an essay called Some Thoughts on the Trinity, said, and it's our quote at the top of our bulletin this morning, God from the beginning is not, not a God of bad math, but a God as community. Maybe this fact that God is a God of community is not some dusty, useless doctrine, but the holy fecundity of a God who pours out God's own communal self into creation. This image of the relational dance of God with God's self is wide enough to include us, the created, and to include Bradley, as we celebrated already today. 
the triune nature of God's self, Nadia Boltzweber says, that triune nature assures us that God is always in fellowship with God's self. In the beginning is the creator, word and spirit, all commingled to bring forth life. Here, God is always creating communally. So basically, she says, God is a dance, and a dance so exquisite that you can't tell where one person ends and the other begins. Creator, Christ, and spirit. It reminds me of my parents who used to dance all the time together. They were wonderful dancers together, especially when they danced together, and it looked like they were one unit when they would dance across the floor. They, they used to dance in our basement, put on our stereo record player and play these old-fashioned songs, and I just was amazed how good and how graceful they were together. God, in Trin the Trinitarian understanding, is this amazing dance. It makes no sense, the Trinitarian dance of God, the way the creative presence of God dances with the savior presence of God, dances with the life-giving, life-changing spirit presence of God. We can't really explain it, let alone pull it apart and study it. We can only experience it. How many of you have seen the movie Contact? It's been a long time. That was based on a book by Carl Sagan. And there's a scene in that movie where the unbelieving scientist, Ellie Arroway, played by Jodie Foster, a young Jodie Foster, is in conversation with another young person, this time a young seminary student named, whose name was Palmer Joss, played by Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. And Ellie, the scientist, is questioning Palmer's belief in God, and she says something to the effect of, prove to me the, assist the existence of God, and I'll believe it. Or at a cocktail party, and he tell, takes her out of the main room where all there's all the noise. He goes, "Come, let's come talk out on the out on the terrace." So she says it again: "Prove to me that there is a God, and I'll believe it." And he pauses and thinks for a moment. You can almost see the inside of his seminarian brain moving, and he's tempted to go into all kinds of theological explanations for the existence of God. But then he replies to her, "Do you love your father?" And she says, yeah, so? And he says, prove it. And that's it. That's how the Trinity works. That's my explanation. The deepest and most profound truths of our lives are not provable facts. That's what we just promised to remind Bradley of again and again and again. That the best achievements in life aren't achievements at all. They're just gifts. They're just people. They're just experiences that come to us usually when we're not expecting it. The early church teachers spoke about the Trinity using the word perichoresis, which is the giving of oneself and the receiving of another at the same time. That happens in a dance, right? Perichoresis is the dance of love between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a choreography that cannot be planned or limited or contained, it spills out and flows even beyond the three persons, right? It, there's too much to contain just in the three. For God so loved the world, God loved the world so much that God gave God's only Son that everyone who trusts in Him might not perish but have eternal and abundant life starting right now. 
friends, the Trinitarian dance, the Trinity, is our invitation to dance with God, to live that kind of life. Natty Boltz Weber says, in the Trinitarian nature of God, individuality and communality are related in a beautiful life-giving dance of creation. Whatever names we choose to use, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Holy Parent, Holy Child, and Holy Spirit, Spirit, Creator, Redeemer, and Advocate, the three aspects remain distinct while the identity remains one through the mutual relatedness of giving and receiving, back and forth together throughout time. So maybe this isn't just an old doctrine but something more. This image of the relational dance of God with God's self, she says, is wide enough to include us as the created, non-relational images of God, like when we have to go to a king to maybe or maybe not be seen. Non-relational images of God do not allow room for us, but the mutual indwelling that we believe in as the people of Christ this mutual indwelling of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit offers us and all creation the divine space in which to live to the fullness of our identity as beloved children of God, just like Bradley today. So take a look at that icon on the front of our bulletin this morning. That is an image inspired by the story in Genesis of the three angels or strangers who visit Abram at the Oak of Mamre, and whom Abram, who becomes Abraham, welcomed, and they promise him a child, he and his wife, even in their old age. And the three figures on that painting in this icon are depicted and shown as angels seated at an altar table. They have identical faces, but their postures and clothing differ, as though we are looking at the same figure in three different ways. And what I want us to look at a little bit this morning, just briefly, is how these three figures relate to each other. The father, who is on your left, looks to the son gesturing toward this word made flesh, this son of his, while Christ in the middle gazes back at the father but points to his left, our right, to the spirit. And the spirit opens up the circle with the body positioning to receive the viewer. We are invited to the table as well. We're able to sit in communion with all three persons of the spirit. The dance of the three persons into which we are welcomed and encouraged because that is where we belong. And that's where we feel most like ourselves, no matter where we are, just like Bradley. You'll know who we are. One plus one plus one equals one. This image of this relational dance is wide enough to include us as beloved creations of God, this artist who in Bradley's life, but in your life as well, has created a miracle. It gives us a relationship with God which is the definition of salvation. And in that relationship, when we experience peace and welcome and true justice and grace, then we're inspired to work for it because we know 
it can happen. We believe it. And we can share that same gift of dance and abundant life with others. Amen.